Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and I want to thank you all for tuning in today. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to make one announcement. We will be taking next week off, the week of Thanksgiving. So there will be no episodes next week, and that includes the follow-up episode. We're going to be recording the follow-up for this episode on Tuesday the 29th. So Tuesday the 29th from 7 to 8 p.m., we'll be taking the follow-up calls for this episode, episode 244. And you'll also have between now and then to send any questions or comments or theories in using the hashtag episode 244. For today's episode, we're going to hear from two different people, one of which we've never heard from before. Since the very beginning of this case, the man with the white Corvette has been a mystery. We have learned, of course, that his name is Lionel Williams, but that's basically all we know about him. Even by reading his trial testimony, we're still unclear about the relationship that he had with Elnora. Well, finally today, we're going to get all of those answers. In segment one, I interview Mr. Lionel Williams. And then after that, in the second segment of today's episode, we're going to hear from Ed himself. After the last few episodes, I had a lot of questions that I wanted to ask Ed to see if he could clear some things up. And I thought rather than me relay what he's saying, I would just record an interview with Ed for you to hear for yourself. We're going to hear about the circumstances surrounding his arrest, some information about some polygraph tests, and get the real skinny about what actually happened with that knife that was found at his employer's. Ed has a lot to share, and he does clear a lot of things up. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break to hear about our sponsor, and then we're going to get right into the Lionel Williams interview. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Vistaprint. It's here, folks. The holiday season is upon us. Yeah, we've got Turkey Day just next week. Gobble, gobble. Really? Did you just say gobble, gobble? Yeah, it's Turkey Day. Okay, you're right. It is Thanksgiving next week. And you know what Thanksgiving means. It's time to get those holiday cards out. That's right. And Vistaprint is here to help. This time of year is super busy, and it takes a big hit on everybody's pocketbooks. But with Vistaprint, it doesn't take much time, money, or any design skills to create a really personal, truly customized card at vistaprint.com. 
That's right, as we told you a couple of weeks ago. We made our company holiday cards with Vistaprint. We made our personal holiday cards with Vistaprint. It was an incredibly easy process. We even got our photos right from Facebook. Vistaprint has a ton of options, quantities, styles, sizes, and stocks. And we were easily able to create something that business associates, friends, and family will love to open and keep. Like Mike's Christmas card with his cat. Why? You know I don't have a cat. Oh, you don't? No! Huh, must have been thinking of somebody else. But in any case, using Vistaprint, we were able to create these amazing cards at a great value at 50% off. That's 50 cards for as low as $21.99. Which really is an incredible value. And that's not all you can get at Vistaprint. You can order personalized calendars, canvas prints, mugs, labels, and so much more. There's so many customizable gifts to make your own. For example, just to keep Mike company, I made him a custom coffee mug with my picture on it. Merry Christmas, me. You're welcome. But in all seriousness, I have been using Vistaprint for years. Whether I need business cards, holiday cards, mouse pads, coffee cups, banners, t-shirts, Vistaprint has always been my go-to. And right now, Vistaprint is offering a special deal. You get 50% off of holiday cards when you use my code TRUTH. That's 50% off. 50 cards start at just $21.99. Which is a great value and something unique you can create on Vistaprint.com to share with your family and friends. All of their quantities, sizes, styles, and stocks are 50% off. That's 5-0, off. And all the holiday cards include backside designs and envelopes. And as always with Vistaprint, satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. Every time, any reason, or they'll make it right. We love ordering holiday cards from Vistaprint, and we know that you will too. So to get your 50% off of your holiday cards, go to vistaprint.com, create and design your custom holiday cards, and enter my code TRUTH at checkout. That code again is TRUTH. Your savings will be applied automatically. It's that easy. Go to vistaprint.com and get your holiday shopping done today. Linnell, one of the the big mysteries of the Elnora Griffin case was the man with the white Corvette. That there, people kept talking about a man with a white Corvette. Is that you? That's me. I had a white Corvette back in them days. Man, yeah, I was in my forties, I guess, fifties, because I'm seventy five now. And I, I was divorced, and I had a good time back in them days. So, did the white Corvette come after the divorce? Oh no, I got it during the marriage. Okay. I bought it in 1979. Oh, wow. So it was a classic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I sold it. I just sold it about three years ago. I got as much for it as I paid for it. Shit, I, I kept it 30 years. Yeah. So you were the man with the white Corvette. That's me. That's what they, that's what, that's how they looked me up. <laughs> Is it really? The man with the white Corvette. <laughs> so what was your relationship with Elnora? Well, I would say we were good friends. We uh, talked a lot. And, you know, I listened to her plans in life more than anything else. How she, uh, you know, things that she wanted to do and she hadn't done. Okay. And she just wanted to come down here and get away from the hustle and bustle of living in the city, understanding I got from her. Did she discuss with you the reason why she left Dallas specifically? No, I never. it never even came up other than the fact that she wanted to get away from the city life. Other than if it was anything else, I couldn't see it. Okay. She convinced me that's what she wanted to do, so, you know, I tried to help her. Did you know her before she left Dallas? Yeah, I met her. That's when I met her. She was living up there. 
when I, I had met her uh, maybe a year or so before she moved down here. Okay, how did you guys meet then? At a Super Bowl party. I don't remember. But somewhere, I think it was a Super Bowl. We met at Johnny's house. At Johnny, Johnny Pryor's house? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you know, and then so you knew her when she was in Dallas. Did you ever go to her place in Dallas? Yeah, someplace. I went to an apartment. She lived in some apartment somewhere up there, and I went to see her one weekend. And I don't remember what year it was, but it was back in them days. So when when you went up to see her, because one of the things when we're trying to break down the crime scene at Elnora's house uh, is to try to figure out kind of what the baseline was for how she kept the house, so we can decide, you know, what what was messed up during the murder and what was just messed up. Would you say that she was a good housekeeper, or what? How did she keep her house? Yeah, she was pretty neat. Was the house messed up or something? Uh, yeah, well, like I was, it's been ramped or something because I never did, you know, get no details on it. Well, there was there was a struggle, so there was a lot of things broken, and there was like maybe they was fighting or something, huh? Yeah, and there were there were like stains in places, and then you know, like Johnny uh, Johnny had told us that you know she would never leave you know that stain on the comforter; she would have cleaned it. Oh, uh, okay. No, I really, I, I, I really didn't pay no much, a whole lot of attention to it, but it was neat. I know that because I wouldn't have been coming around if it wasn't. Right. But she kept a place neat. Yeah. The nature of your guys' relationship, you said you were good friends. Were you guys ever romantically involved, too? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we we did things together, you know. We, did you guys have, like, a committed relationship, or you were just friends and, and sometimes no, romantic? No, it was just, like I said, back in them days, I thought I was a player. <laughs> and uh, I had a lot of girlfriends. A lot. Of, I was dealing with quite a few women back in them days. I was a single man, and, um, you know, I was having fun. Sure, especially after a divorce. Yeah, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is after I had got divorced and everything. Yeah, and I was just having fun, and she was uh that Corvette was one of the few things I got out that damn divorce shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know how they rob you if you ever been through one. Just having fun, and she she came along, and me and I had some fun together. And you know we didn't have no serious, you know, like marriage, uh, you know, or even a re- relationship that was, you know, was uh, strong. It was just friendship. Right. We just did things. Sure. I noticed when we were going through all the documents that we have in the case, outgoing, and you may not even know this, but the last outgoing call that she made on her phone before she was murdered, it was two days before the murder when she actually called someone. You were the last call that she made. Yeah, she called me. It was on a Wednesday. Yeah. I had told that detective about that that come over here before. And me and I had talked, and she told me that she wanted to find a home over here in Longview. Okay. And wanted me to help her, not not necessarily Longview, but in this area. And she wanted me to help her find a house because she had just got this job at University of Texas. She wanted to uh, buy her own place. So that was the conversation just two days before she was killed? Yeah, I guess, because that's the last time I talked to her. Okay. And that... I, was, I was so surprised about that. I was really surprised because she was so, you know, so up. Like she had really finally got it together. Did she give you any indication that anything was wrong, or like you said, she just sounded... No, she never told me that she had no problem with nobody, you know, because like I told you, when they asked me at the uh, the trial that I know about her and, and, and two guys, I guess it was, and I said, hell no, I know nothing about neither one of them, because hell, you know, I didn't touch on what she was doing or laughing, nor was she asking me about what I was doing. You know, whenever we was together, we was together. Other than that, we didn't have no... I mean, you're seeing whoever you want to, that's fine, you know. It wasn't like we were... You know, there was an item or something. We were just two people that kind of enjoyed each other. Sure, sure. Perfect person for what I wanted. 
So you had never never heard her talk about uh, a Leonard Mosley, a guy they called Shorty, or... Never heard of none of these people until that. And I didn't, you know, his name sounds strange to me even now. But the first time I ever heard it was when they was talking at the uh, her tri- at the this guy's trial about did I know about this, her being gone and engaged with somebody, dealing with this guy and all this shit. I don't feel no. I went back and, and didn't try to find out. You know, I wasn't messing around in her life because she wasn't messing around in mine. One of the the people that are in, connected to this case had made an accusation that they thought that the reason Elnora left Dallas was that she had a grandchild that was sick, and in order to make money to help take care of the grandchild, that she had gotten involved with some bad people, like in a drug cartel, and that she left Dallas to get away from those people. If that's the case, I swear I wouldn't have heard nothing about it, and she never told me nothing about it. She just didn't come at me like that being that kind of person. I, and for her grandkids, I didn't know she had no grandkids. I know she had a son and a daughter. Okay. If she had a grandkid, I, didn't, I never met him. Her or whatever it was. I met her daughter and her son. I remember that. Other than that, anybody else, I, you know, I never knew him. Okay. But she introduced me to them. Do you know, did Elnora ever do any kind of drugs, marijuana or anything? Not with me. What about drink? Did she ever drink? Oh, yeah, we had some drinks. Like I said, we was at Super Bowl party. You know, we drank and just had a good time. Kind uh, of social drinking, you know, something like that, you know. But she wasn't no big drinker, as far as I would, I knew of. I know I never have been. Just a little social drinking is all she ever done on me because that's all I ever do. Last question, and this actually may be significant, so if you can remember this. Do you know, did Elnora smoke, or did she ever, like, occasionally smoke, or did you know about her smoking at all? It's been so damn long ago, and I really can't remember it's whether she smoked or not. I really don't know. Did you smoke? Me? Yeah. No. Okay. I quit smoking way back in the... 60s, I guess. 70s late. When my daughter started hollering about me, I was going to die if I didn't quit smoking. <laughs> so I quit smoking way back then. Before I even divorced and everything. So I had really quit smoking when I met Elnora. Do you recall ever remember her smoking when she was with you? I can't ever remember her smoking with me. That's right. If she did, I cannot remember it. I know she never smoked in my car or nothing like that because I didn't allow it. But uh, if she smoked, man, I don't know. So you spent about a year in relationship with Elnora as as friends and and sometimes romantically involved. One thing that I haven't been able to do is really connect with anybody that can tell us about Elnora. Like, what can you tell us about just her personality and her character? Elnora was a nice lady. That's the impression she gave me. You know, as far as if she had a life that wasn't like that, I didn't catch it. Because she, to me, was the perfect lady to deal with in the situation that she and I had. You know, she didn't give me no problem. We had a good relationship. And I, I can't see all this other stuff. It could have been. Now, I don't know. Shit, I ain't figured it out yet because... Everybody seems to give the same thing, that she was just a very sweet lady, a Christian woman. Yeah, she was nice, man. I tell you, she was really nice. I I, I can't get over the fact that uh, when they started telling me all these things, I think they were trying to make uh, some kind of point, but it didn't make no point to me because, like I told them, as far as I know, Illinois was a perfect lady because she was that way to me. And if she was doing something like they, like you're talking about, hell, I didn't know nothing about it. Yeah, well, there, it was a mystery to me. Yeah, well, and there doesn't seem to be any validation to that at all. That's why I wanted to ask you somebody that knew her, because that was mm-hmm. when I when that person told me that you know she had this that she thought this stuff was going on with the drug cartel. It just immediately didn't fit with anything else we knew about Elnora. That's why I was really glad I was able to get a hold of you to get your take on it. 
I couldn't believe I couldn't I wouldn't believe that. Now it could be true. Hell, you know, people get involved in shit and they keep it hid. But you could not make me believe by when I met Elnora that she was doing some shit like that. I, I, I just wouldn't dawn on me. Now I ain't gonna say it didn't happen because I don't know. Right, right. But I know one damn thing. She didn't do nothing like that around me. We didn't do no drugs. We didn't do nothing to involve nobody with no drugs, nothing like that. We just went out and ate and did little things like that, you know. Other than that, if she was doing something else, hell, I, I didn't know nothing about it. You spoke with her a couple of days before the murder. Do you remember how long it had been since you had seen her before she was killed? Shit, I can't remember the exact. I can't remember exactly the last time I had actually seen her, you know, in person. I cannot remember it. I do remember going over there in that white Corvette a month or so, or somewhere around in there, because we had we kept phone contact. You know, we always called each other at least once or twice a week. Can I just can't remember anything different from that? You know, I, other if it could have been, now I don't know. But we talked about her getting a place. Is what we talked about when that last day I talked to her. All right, well, Lionel, I think that's, unless there's anything else you can remember that, that you can tell us, I think that's really all the questions I have that I think you'd be able to answer. And I know you have a, you have a tea time this morning. I don't want to keep you from that. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to play today. I changed my mind. I'm going I'm to cut the yard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anything I can do to help you, man, because I really would like to know, uh, and I'd like for the person to get punished that did that day on Nora, because she was a super lady. I thought a lot of her. I hope y'all get this thing worked out. I sure would like to know the truth behind it, but I, I just cannot believe she was involved in no drug cartel. Now, you hell, you, you might know more than I know about it, but uh, my knowing and, and dealing with Elnora, shit, Elnora was a nice lady. I had a lot of fun with her. You probably actually know more about it than I do. I think it sounds it's probably not very likely that was actually the case. Nah, hell, I wouldn't swear to it, but if she did it, man, it was... It was the damn show of top sick, and it never came up with me, you know. If she did something like that, I wouldn't have known about it, I guess. But she told me, but she didn't tell me nothing like that. And we all, we never talked about stuff like that because that wasn't part of our relationship. Mm-hmm. Like I say, we go eat, look at a movie or, or whatever we want to do, you know, and, and she go her way and I go mine. We didn't have no qualms about what she did or what I did. We never even came up. Okay, well, Lionel, I will go ahead and let you go. And if, if I think of anything else, all right, if I give you a call back sometime? Oh, yeah, you any time that I can do to help you, man, because I want to know just as much as you do about this thing. Because I had talked to Leon. I had called him after I talked to you, and I asked him, you know, I'm so glad. But I thought that guy had done it, really. I thought he was the man. I I don't know. You talked to Leon, Johnny's brother? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's our classmate. We've been knowing each other since we were six years old. Yeah, so what what's Leon think about all this? Leon, Leon tell, you know, me and him talk about it all the time. You know, we can't figure it out, you know, because Leon thought that guy did it, too. He thought he was the one that done it, so, so I don't know. Yeah, he was, I actually got to meet Leon a couple months ago when I was down in Tyler. He let us, because, you know, he's living in the trailer there. He let us go through and, and take a look at the actual layout of, of the trailer. He seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, because I, I had, um, I, I, I've been over there since Elnora got killed. We're talking with Leon, you know, mm-hmm. at that trailer. Matter of fact, I'm going to go there tomorrow because we're going to a funeral up in Dallas. Uh, one of our classmates died. Oh, so I'll see him tomorrow, and we'll probably talk about that a lot. And maybe he'll tell me something that I didn't catch, and I can tell him something he didn't catch. And next time you call me, I might have something to tell you that we can kind of put together. Because I want this man called whoever he was. If that wasn't the right man, I'd hate to see him sit his ass in jail. I hope they catch the right one. 
Right. Well, that'd be great. And yeah, I, I definitely will. If you guys uh, have a conversation, let me know if you find out anything new. And, and tell Leon I said hello. I did meet him. Like I said, he seemed like he was a really good guy. Okay. Whenever you get a chance, before you get your investigation finished up, holler back at me. If I don't find out anything, I'll, I'll damn sure tell you because I want to see him call just as much as anybody else do. All right, well, I thought it was really cool to actually talk to Lionel. He seems like a great guy. He was more than willing to talk to me. I actually spoke to him a few days before we recorded this interview and then called him back to ask if he'd be willing to record with me. And I've actually heard from him since then. And he really is interested in getting to the bottom of this. And now, after interviewing with him, we know the extent of his relationship with Elnora. And I think this also helps us to figure out some of the victimology here. Now, Lionel told me that they had been intimate together for over a year, all the way up to and including when she was finally murdered. During that time, she was also with Leonard Mosley, and they were talking about getting married, and also during that time, she dated Francis Johnson. So at least at one point, we had three different relationships happening at the exact same time, and that would be in the late winter, early spring, when she was with Leonard, she was dating Francis, and she still had this thing going on with Lionel. And another big thing that I gathered from the conversation with Lionel Williams is that I'm finding it less and less likely that those cigarettes in the guest bathroom with the lipstick on them actually belong to Elnora. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, moving on to the second segment of today's show. As I mentioned in the introduction, the second segment is an interview with Ed himself. You all are going to get the opportunity to hear directly from Ed's own mouth what was going on when he was arrested, and he also answers a lot of questions that have been up in the air after the last few episodes. So without further ado, here's my latest interview with Ed Eights. Okay, one thing that's come up, Ed, when I've been going through all these recent documents that's just kind of confusing me is why they arrested you when they did. Now, we know that on the night the body was found that Huckel and Cheney and Garmin all took you in did an interview with you. Uh, the next day, they went back and, and finished gathering evidence at the crime scene. Three or four days later, they interviewed you again. At that point, they knew that Kubi had said you were there and that you would lie to them about how you got to Monica's house. And they had that statement from Jesse Nelson uh, that says your car was at the apartments. But they also had the statement of his stepson who said that the car that they saw was there all the time. So 
I don't see anything in the mm-hmm. records that I have that happened between that date and the date that you were arrested, which was a month later. I'm trying to figure out what the trigger was. What was the trigger for them to decide on August 26th to arrest you? Do you, do you know why you were arrested? No, I don't. Really don't. I mean, they just came and I think I got off of work one day. We was working down the street from this man at this horse ranch. And I came in and I just got out of the bathtub. And um, my grandmother said, man, there was somebody at the door. And I went to the door and it was, the, well, the car was pulling up first. And I went to the door. She saw it. And I went to the door and it was the sheriff, deputy, Hugo. Uh, it was another car out there. I know David Dobbs is there and that investigator. And he just came in, and I was like, what's going on? And he grabbed my arm and said, like, you under arrest for the murder of Elnor Griffin. My grandma said, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? That he's going to jail. I mean, he didn't have any cuffs or anything. He was hollering out to the deputy and didn't have any. They went to the car, had to get some cuffs from somebody else and put the cuffs on me and took me out through the yard and put me in the car, and they took me on to jail. And I don't know what triggered it. I mean, I didn't do anything. I wasn't doing anything. Did they say anything about, like, why we we just found this and now you're under arrest or anything like that? They didn't say anything. He was talking about the lethal injection going up the road and all that stuff. And I just sit there and I didn't say anything. I just had my head down because it wasn't any use talking to them. They had me between two detectives and they drove me up to the sheriff's department through the parking garage. A car went in in front of them. And we pulled in, and some people got out, and they pulled me out the car, and the sheriff grabbed my arm, and a deputy grabbed my arm, and they walked me to the back door, and people was taking the pictures and stuff. And I just went in, and they handcuffed me to the bench. And now, I mean, that was it. I was in jail. Who was taking the pictures? I guess that was the, I'm assuming that was the media people, because they was just taking a picture of me. That evening, I didn't see it that evening, because they kept me down in like a holdover cell. But like three days later, they were showing me on TV on that evening news, and I was walking through the park. I'm sure it was the media, because I was walking through the parking garage, and they had that same picture, and they was rolling like a little footage. They was were showing the sheriff, walk, the sheriff and the deputy walking me to the back door. So I'm sure that's who it was. Those media people. So they, so the media people were there waiting when you got arrested. So that that would mean Smith County had to contact them first, right? I mean, evidently so. I guess they were in that parking garage. And that was that same picture where I was going to jail that day. Oh, they didn't say anything to me. They just locked me up. Um, about a week later, I had um, a visit from uh, two lawyers, Tom McLean and Cliff Rose, the ones that were representing me. And they came over and they talked to me for a minute. And I thought everything was it was sounding okay, but you know I didn't really know them. And then they all of a sudden just popped off and come out with well, district attorney is offering me forty five years, and I think that's a good deal for the case that you got. You can be out in 15 years. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? He said, man, uh, you got a, a murder case and a rape case, and they're talking about capital murder with you. I said, what are you talking about? I said, look, look. I said, I ain't killed nobody. I said, I don't know. Or they, said it. they said that she was raped. I said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I ain't raped nobody, and I ain't killed nobody. I said, man, better yet. I, don't, I got up, and I pushed the button, and I told the officer. I said, let me out of here. They was asking what the problem. I said, man, let me out of here. They popped the door, and I told them, I said, man, take me back wherever you're going to take me because I don't want to talk to them. They came later on and told me that. They said the district attorney said that they had DNA at the crime scene. They had semen, and they said it belongs to you. So I said, I know that's a lie. He said, how are you going to sit here and tell me that's a lie? Ed? And they got the evidence. I said, that's bullshit. They don't have no evidence on me like that. I said, and they, I said they bullshitting you if they're telling you that. He said, okay, Ed. He said, I'm going to go back and talk to Mr. Dobbs and see what's going on. Do you think that was your attorney's 
actually relaying what was said or were they were they trying to trick you or what that's just crazy that your own attorneys would say that they had the evidence that clearly they didn't have i mean at the time at the time i thought maybe i said man maybe this attorney just telling them just anything right now to try to see what they can get me to do but now at this time that i don't sit here and marinated in prison all these years i actually believe that they were all they were working with the district attorney now i don't believe it right then but after that, I really believe that because I remember when I was in trial, getting ready to go, I remember Cliff said, man, we're not even getting paid for this anymore. We don't get anything for this. As I think about that now, you know, I done sit up and thought about that a lot of days, what he said. And, you know, that's why I said they just gave me away to the district attorney's office. They was working with him just to get rid of this. And he said that out of his own mouth. Man, we're not even getting paid for this. That, that makes sense that that would be something a prosecutor would do to lie to you, to try to get, you know, they'd be trying to coax a confession out of you where they can tell you, listen, we've already got all the evidence just to see what you'd say to see if you take a deal. But the fact that your own defense attorneys did it doesn't make sense to me. Didn't you tell me at one point that they had told you that they just wanted to see how you would react or something like that? Right. I had talked to my mom later on that evening and uh, she told me that my grandmother had told me that Judge Clayton, he was the judge at the time and those were the uh, lawyers that they had that they had appointed that he had appointed to me. He said, "You don't use people don't usually get two lawyers. They usually get one lawyer, and they gave me two. And they were just doing that because they wanted to see if you were going to take the deal. They wanted to know if you were guilty. If you were guilty, they didn't want they weren't going to take the case. That's exactly what she said. She said they're going to come back over there, and I want you to talk to them. I said I really don't want to talk to them. I said because they come over here and uh, talk about the district attorney's office for forty five years. I said I don't want to talk about nothing like that." So that was your grandmother that told you that? Yes, that was my grandmother. Going back to when, when you got arrested, you said so you got out of the side cell or wherever you were at where you had no TV a few days after you got arrested. You said so like three days later, it was still on the news that you were arrested? Right. I mean, it wasn't just three days. It was on there for about the next two weeks. I mean, they were showing something about the murder case for the next two weeks. It would be a clipping on. It was, it was on the news every night. The 6 o'clock news. There was something about Edward Ace in the murder case. I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it said the Highway 31 murder or something. And it was a Chapel Hill murder on Highway 31. But it was something about it on TV and the newspaper every day. And then it started disappearing in the newspaper. It's not in the front, like in the, in the, like in the metro section. It's back hid somewhere, like it'd be in the, in the back of the sports page or in the advertising, a little clip back there. Wow, I, so I didn't realize that there was so much press around Elnora's murder. So was there much press beforehand, before you were arrested? Yeah, they was talking about it every night because they was talking about the killer was still on the loose and all that out on 31. People need to be safe and watch what they're doing and watch who they're around and all that stuff out there. Those news people actually said that they had a suspect in hand, but it didn't have him apprehended right then. Before you were arrested? They was Right. Everybody was talking about the handyman on the job. And I was like, who the hell are they talking about the handyman? <laughs> and that was you. They were talking about it you. Took, it, yeah, it took me a minute to snap. They talking about me. I said, I'm not no damn handyman. <laughs> I'm a kid. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, but, you know, I'm really a kid. I'm just young. I'm a young kid. I'm, I'm just helping them. Right. Because my grandmother tells me, too, you know, my grandmother said, baby, go down there and help them do so-and-so, so-and-so. Because Johnny Fry, her son, didn't. I mean, he didn't, you know, he was a he was a gay guy, you know what I'm saying? He didn't really, he mowed a yard, you know, but he didn't, certain things he didn't do, he couldn't do, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I mean, we all, we all grew up together. We were friends and everything. 
but I mean, you know, he was gay and he just wasn't that just wasn't his thing, you know what I mean? Right. He was right. into other stuff. You know, he had other things going on. And I would go to she would call me down there, Well Steven gotta do this here, will you do this here? I said, Yeah, I'll do that. I did a I did a million things for uh Johnny Pryor. You know, I didn't do that much for Eleanor, you know. I didn't even know her that good. I just did a few things my grandmother asked me to do for her. She called my grandmother and asked me, do you think Eva can do so-and-so, so-and-so? She said, well, I'll ask him to see what he said. And she didn't ask me. She just kept me to go do it, you know, and I go do it and I come back home. Right, right. I think this is starting to paint a little better picture for me. I was actually, when I was going up to my cabin this weekend, I was riding with my dad. And, you know, he he listens to the show. And he asked me on the way up there, he just said, I just can't wrap my brain around what the motivation would be for them to railroad him like that. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. What's the motive? And this is before you told me about the the stuff in the press. And I said, all I can figure out was, you know, this was a, it was, it was like a press nightmare that, you know, they had this killer on the loose and they needed to close the case. And And then after I had that conversation with him, then you tell me that, they actually had the news media waiting at the police station when you got arrested. So they it sounds like they intentionally made a news spectacle out of your arrest. I don't know how you would do that. I mean, I don't know. But I know that picture, they had me on the front page of that paper, on, of the newspaper, because I had started I had started getting the newspaper when I was in jail. So I'd have something to read in the newspaper. I, I mean, I was on the front page. That I didn't get it that day, but I was on the front page because some guy in the tank was getting the newspaper. I was like, damn. <laughs> and they got me on the front page. And, you know, when you go to jail, everybody said, man, what you in for? What you in for? Yeah, when I got in, when they put me in the little nine-man tank, everybody looked around, and they looked right at me. Oh, that's that guy. That's that dude that killed that lady on Highway 31. Everybody know who the hell I was. So it was It was a pretty big news deal before and after you were arrested. So that, that makes a little more yep. sense because I, I just couldn't, I still don't know why they arrested you first and then after, because you gave your blood and semen and hair samples after you were arrested, right? Right. After I was in jail. That was a few days after. They came in. J.L. Huckel and Bobby Gorman, they come and got me out of the jail because I really didn't want to go nowhere with them because I didn't know what they were doing, you know, because you see stuff on TV, the two police, the police come get you and, you know, you don't know where they're taking you, but they come and got me and uh, put me in handcuffs and stuff and put me in the car and they took me to the hospital and they put me in a side room. I don't, a nurse told them in a, some little room they put me in and they came in there with tweezers and all that stuff and they took hair. I, I'm bald headed. So right. they, they had tweezers in the top of my head trying to pull hair. I mean, which makes no sense to me at all. I'm bald headed. Right. They took hair off my eyes, my eyebrows, my mustache, my beard, my arms, my legs pubic area, they, everything. It was, and they just had envelopes there, and they was put stuff in an envelope, and he passed to the other one. He'd look at it, and he'd flip the deal over, and the next one he'd do the next thing, and they just they walk out of the room, they put me back in handcuffs, and they took me out of there. Yeah, that's that's the frustrating part is that's all stuff that it should have been done during the investigation to determine whether or not they should have arrested you, not what they should have done after they arrested you. Did did anything happen right. with the investigation between your second interview, which was four days after the murder, and when they arrested you? Did you do a polygraph or something during that time? Uh, I did two polygraphs in that time, but the polygraph was already over. And I mean, I hadn't did anything. They had told me that I needed to stop talking to Monica Bush and that she needed to stop talking to me. But 
we were girlfriend and boyfriend, but, you know, we were on and off. I was mad at her. She was mad at me, but we weren't just apart. We were still together. We talked to each other nearly every day, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. If it wasn't today, we talked to each other every other day, you know, and we were still seeing each other, you know, even after this happened. Even after, I mean, after they had uh, talked to me and everything, they had came and told her, but she said, man, she said, baby, they telling me that you killed somebody, that you killed the lady next door. But I said, I ain't killed nobody next door. She said, that lady that be coming up there with your, up to your grandmother's house, that's what they talking about? I said, yeah, that's exactly what they talking about. She thought it was Johnny Fryer, but I told her, I said, no, it's another, it's the other lady, the lady that had the curly hair. Yeah, so you and Monica continued talking during that time. So she obviously didn't think that you killed her. I mean, no, she didn't. I mean, I told her I did. She believed me, you know. I mean, her, me, her and her mom, we were, we were still going to be up there on Sundays. Uh, her mom would, or either I would cook on the grill outside. They kept, the, the detectives, they would ride by, if not once, twice a day. They were passing by my house. I never noticed that Dale Huker stayed in the same apartment with her until one day, we, one Saturday, we were sitting at the swimming pool. And Dale Huker walked around the side out there. He was the, uh, I guess, the security there. He was working there. Yeah, he also stayed there. And she said that he was, he had came by her house. I said, he keep coming back. He come by here every day. She said, he stays around the corner. He's security. I said, you got to be bullshitting. And that's exactly what it was. I mean, and it seemed like he was talking to everybody. Her, the guy Jesse Nelson, everybody was right there, you know, and he was putting the pressure on everybody, you know. He was really pressuring her. Right. I thought she was going to have a nervous breakdown. Well, even when I talked to her a couple of months ago, she still, I mean, she broke down in tears and didn't want anything to do with anything. You know, she said that it was just traumatic for her and it's still traumatic for her. So I can imagine how, how bad it was back then. I didn't, you'd mentioned to me before right. that you thought that Hugo lived there and he was continuing to talk. Did, did you know, did you happen to know that Jesse Nelson guy that lived right there by her? Have you ever met him? I didn't know who he was. I didn't know him from a man in the moon. <laughs> After I had got out of jail, uh, and got on bond. I had quit talking to Monica, and I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I had spoke. I had seen her one day. I was taking my clothes to the cleaner. Her mother worked at the cleaners right there by the grocery store where I used to take my grandmother. And I would always drop my clothes. Me and my brother, we would have our clothes in the cleaners there, and we stop by and pick our clothes up. And her mom was there. Her, she worked there. Her mom would always talk to me. She said, "Sit down, baby. How you doing?" She said, "What's going on with you?" And she would always want to know what's going on, and I explained to her and tell her what's going on. I had bought me a new truck. When I got out of Ford Explorer and we was talking. You have one and, minute left. And uh, I let her know everything was going on. Well, Monica was there one day. And, you know, I talked to her and told her what was going on. That's when she told me that that Dale Huber guy, he worrying the hell out of me. He comes by every day. Oh, wow. Hey, Ed, we're going to run out of time. Do you want to call me right back? Okay. Talk to you in a minute. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, I'm back. All right. We were talking earlier. You mentioned that you were gotten this job at this ranch down the road. Was that Bobby Norman's ranch? Right, Bob Norman. Yeah, that's what we we called it, Bob Norman. Yeah, he had a. I don't. He he raced his horses like at at the Louisiana Downs and stuff. He had a big track down there, and that's when we had, we was working down there. We was clearing up. We was clearing the uh, the property off down there, and uh, he was teaching us to work with the horses, and mm-hmm. we were building the track down there. So in the Dale Huckel's supplemental report, he has in there that it was about two weeks after you were arrested that they had went out there. or It says that Bob Norman contacted him and says that he found a knife that belonged to you on one of the tractors. Now, I don't remember exactly what you told me, but I know you told me that that wasn't exactly the way it went down. Actually, I was working there. Bob Norman didn't know anything what was going on with us. He didn't even know us. He just hired us to work there. Um, I was working there after one evening we had, we had got out with Dale Euclid had asked us where were we working at because they were initially trying to say that Eleanor was robbed and murdered and they were trying to say that was my motor because she didn't pay me for some work being done. Anyway, we had got out from work that evening and him and Bobby Gorman had went down there and they had talked to him and they told him that uh, I had killed the lady next door to us and they was trying to put an investigation together and uh they wanted to know where I was working at and what I was doing and what time I was there. And they asked to look around and they asked, well, does he be on any equipment or anything? And he told them that I drive a backhoe and a tractor and stuff. And they, he let them look at everything that I was working on and all the places that would be. And uh, they all kind of stuff down there, knives and stuff. Anyway, they found something like a, looked like a buoy knife that was on a tractor. I mean, it was, I, I, I don't even know it was up there. They got it. And they took it back, and they initially tried to say that was the murder weapon that was on my tractor. And he fired me. The man fired me the next day because he didn't. He said, "He said I'm not going to have that shit down here on my property, and I'm not going to have somebody that killed the lady up there." And he said, "I don't want you down here no more because my wife is here, and I, you know, they they come down there and they poisoned his mind and told him that I killed the lady and all that, and this was probably the murder weapon." And I think they took it and tested it and all of that, but they told Cliff and Tom about it. That's how I found out that they had denied. They said, they went down on your job, and they got the murder weapon. I said, got the murder weapon? I said, well, if they got a murder weapon on my job, yeah, there's somebody down there to <laughs> So they said in the report that they got the knife after you were arrested. Did they get the knife before they arrested you, or you, or they came down there, you got fired, and then later they found the knife? I got fired. I got fired right about three weeks after they had found Elnor. They had went down on my job, and they had went down there. This was before I got arrested in anything. Is that what they? I found? had lost my job and everything. Right, and they already found the knife at that point, or was that later? They went down there. It wasn't nothing to be found. The knife was in plain sight. You know, on the tractor, on the backhoe, there's a little toolbox up there. It had a hammer in it. It had like a little buoy knife. It had a, a crescent wrench, and it had a pipe wrench up there, and a and a grease gun up there. That stuff stays in there, you know, for the tractor. Right. Or stuff that you might need it for. And that's what they got out of there. They got that out of there. What I'm what I'm trying to figure out was was that when they found that knife in the tractor, was that before you were arrested or after? That was before I was arrested. Okay, so his so his report because his report says it was on September eighth 
is when they went down and got that knife, which is about two weeks after you were arrested. But you're saying they had already done that thing with the knife had already come about before they ever yeah, arrested it already, you. It already came about because Real Clifton told me about it because I didn't know anything about the knife at all. That was after, after I was arrested. That's when Clifton told me about it. Cliff and Tom, he didn't contact them. They went down there because I told them. They didn't even know I had a job until I told them I had a job. So he wouldn't need, why would he even contact them? And you said the reason that he fired you was because they had come down there. They went down there and they had talked to him and they had told him that I had killed somebody, a lady up the street next door to me. If Cliff and Tom didn't tell you about that till later, I wonder if they did go back and get it. But uh, it sounds like it's BS the way it went down because they were saying that Bob Norman called them and told them that they found that he found this knife. But you said that knife was always in that tractor? That knife was always in that tractor. Do you know they had... I don't know how many knives that they didn't have around in there. He had a, a huge air-conditioned barn down there for his horses and stuff because he had those uh, racing horses. Uh-huh. And he kept, them in that, he kept them in that barn. They had so many different kind of knives in there. They had knives. They had, like, little picks. I mean, stuff that they used in there with those horses. I mean, it was all kind of stuff down there. If they just wanted to get something and say it was a murder weapon, it was a million different things they could have picked up. You know what's just a now occurring to me that is even more disturbing about it is that he made this big deal about the knife and the supplemental report before your indictment. And I have right. all of the communications back and forth with the crime lab where they do all the testing. That knife was never sent to the crime lab to be tested for anything. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me because I had asked Cliff. I had asked Cliff about it. I said, man, they said they had a murder weapon. What about the murder weapon? Cliff said that they had tested something about the knife, and the knife didn't have any blood on it. They had opened it up and checked it, and uh, that wasn't a murder weapon. It says that in the report, that they tested it, and it turned out it wasn't the murder weapon. I think the report said that there was no blood found on it, but the testing showed that it had been recently sharpened. But unless there's something that I'm not seeing yet that's part, hopefully maybe we'll get in this open records request, we have a copy of all the correspondences, as far as we know, from the DPS crime lab, and there's nothing in those reports about them ever sending that knife for testing. So I'd like to know where the they hell didn't. they had that knife tested. They didn't. They did not have it tested for nothing. I don't know what happened with the knife. I never saw it. I saw a picture of it. I saw a picture in all those pictures I was telling you about, uh-huh. but I never saw it again. I never saw it again. I never physically saw it. You know, like they present something at trial, I didn't see it. They had also said something about a knife that they found out on the highway out in front of your house that they did have tested uh-huh. at the crime lab. I wonder if that's the same knife and they made up the fact that it was found at your job. <laughs> I don't even, I don't, I know that one I don't know anything about. Them finding something out there like that. Yeah, there's a knife that was sent to the crime lab and in the reports back and forth to the crime lab, it says that they found this knife on the highway in front of your house, and they wanted it tested for blood. And they tested it and said, no, there was no blood on it. But they never said anything about the knife that was supposedly found on this tractor. That's really, really interesting. Now that I'm sitting here thinking about it as we're talking, I don't think that that second knife maybe never even existed or was never actually sent to the crime lab. I think they took the knife they found on the street and then just said in the report that they found it at your work. Because there's no record of them ever doing anything with that knife. I don't remember it either. I don't think they did it. I remember. I, know, I remember when they read when they gave me my indictment that I was reading it and it said cut her throat, namely with a knife. That's what it said in my indictment, I believe. 
And I was like, man, what now are they talking about? What are they talking about? Because I didn't, I didn't understand about the indictment and stuff at first being, you know, a deadly weapon, namely a knife, a cut with a knife or stuff like that. And I was like, man, what are they talking about a knife? And that's when uh, I had that stuff about it. And he said, they're talking about uh, the weapon that you use. They put that in there to make it a 3G offense and all that. I said, it's a murder case. I didn't understand then when he told me what it was. Explained. I said, well, it's a murder case. Somebody did, so it would be a 3G offense anyway, wouldn't it be? Yeah, you'd think so. No matter what it is. Hey, you know, speaking of your indictment, one of the things I just came across that I'm I'm kind of confused on, I don't have paperwork for your original indictment. What I have for your indictment, and I just found there's a note at the top of it that says re-indictment for this cause number that was like in April or May of the next year. Why were you indicted twice? That I do not. Cliff said that they weren't going to indict me for capital murder. I think they pulled a, I think they did a capital murder indictment. They got rid of it. Then they come back again. Bob, if I'm not mistaken, and I remember correctly, it was three different indictments because they went to the, uh, Tom and Cliff said that they had to go to the grand jury. They had to go to the grand jury. This was after I was out. They had already indicted me with the one with the one indictment. Then they came back and they was trying to get because they said that they had semen and they were going to indict me for capital murder and they couldn't use that. And then they went back in there and Tom and Cliff was outside. They said that they couldn't go in. They they could just sit outside and they would just uh, watch the witnesses go in there. And then they turned around and said they were indicting you for murder this time. But they re- I don't know what they reindicted me for. I don't know why they redid it. I don't, really don't know. I wonder if the original indictment was capital murder because they because originally they thought she was raped and then later right. when the rape kit came back out they said that no she wasn't raped because the rape is what made it a capital offense so maybe they had to reindict because of the new evidence was the first indictment was it shortly after you were arrested right right after I was arrested they I mean when I got out I mean I didn't really pay any of that stuff in attention because when I got out of jail on bond I was like man I ain't got nothing to worry about no way I ain't killed nobody this. I was just, you know, I'm thinking all oh, this is going to blow over anyway. Right. You know, that's 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 what me and my grandmother were talking about. And I was talking about it with my cousin. And I was like, man, all this stuff is going to blow over. I said, I ain't, they know I ain't killed nobody. I said, they just full of shit. They just trying to get some money or something. But after I got out, I was saying, they can't railroad me no way because I'm out now, you know. Right. And, and Cliff, Cliff was telling me the same thing. He said, you probably, you're not going to have anything to worry about now. He said, you're out. He said, they don't have nothing on you. They got this, this, and this. He said, they got cubial statements. And he said, they got the poop on your shoe. They were, That's when he was studying, saying the poop on my shoe. I said, man, I didn't have nothing on my shoe. I said, if it was anything on my shoe, it had to be sand. And I said, I got on brand new shoes. And what they saying, they got off of a little corner of a tread. I mean, that's, that's hard to believe. You know what I mean? Right. As big as my shoe is and big as the treads are, that's all they had. I said, I, 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 I said that's a bunch of bull corn. I just let it go, you know. I didn't, I didn't think about it anymore because it wasn't really that. I mean, it was serious to me, Bob, but it wasn't serious. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I suppose was, if you, was, you know, you didn't kill anybody, and even your lawyers are right. telling that's, you they don't that, have a that's case. That's the way. That's the way I'm saying this. It wasn't serious to me because I know I didn't kill nobody. It was serious that I went to jail, but then after I got out, I was like, man, it's over with. And after time went by, and I got me a job, uh, I bought me a truck. And I was started doing good, you know. Me and my wife had got together. Everything was going good, you know. I was really everything was disappearing because it's nearly five years later, and here it come back again, you know. And I'm like, God, dang. Yeah. That's I... when I thought it was it started getting serious to me because I had a family then. I had a job. I had a good job. 
Then I'm having problems. Then I started having problems on my job and everything, and everything started going haywire. Another two years went by before you even had your first trial, right? Right, exactly. They threw the uh, the indictment, the, the indictment deal out or something, and you know they was trying to, they was taking me to trial, but they they ruled a mistrial or something. They didn't start. They had started to pick a jury, and they stopped it, and they went and uh, had a recess with the judge, and that's when they stopped. They put they postponed that. And then, two, like you said, two years later, that's when they had the next trial. And, and that's when the mistrial came about and all that stuff there. Right. All right, Ed. Well, I'm going to let you go for now. I wanted to get some clarification on when you were arrested and how that happened. And I think the, the media response plays a lot into it. I just, I'm in the process right now of trying to get a hold of all of those newspaper reports so I can see what was going on. Because that's the biggest mystery to me is why they arrested you when they did. And I guess real quick, before we go back, you said weeks before you were actually arrested is when you did the polygraph test, correct? Right. It was before I was arrested. Yeah. And the only thing that I have on the, I have one polygraph test and all we have is a statement from the tester that says there was deception detected, but we don't have the full report that says they're supposed to give you a report that says, here's the transcript. These are the questions that were asked. These are the questions that he answered honestly. Here's the questions he answered dishonestly. And all we have is this one-page report that says deception was detected. And then there's nothing on the second polygraph test at all. Right. What happened with the polygraph test? I mean, I don't know what happened with the second polygraph test, to be honest. I really don't. I went with the same people, uh, Dale Huckel and Melanie McCain. Out there at the DPS department in Tyler, it's the same, at the same place. Did you, you think you actually did fail that first test? I really don't remember the the questions when they was when they were testing me. Yeah, I was nervous. I was nervous and scared. Um, I don't know what they asked me. I know they asked me the initial quest first question. He asked me what was my name. He asked me where did I live. He asked me how old was I. He asked a few more questions. Then he asked me, did you kill Elnora Griffin? And I said no. And he looked down as he looked down and then he held his he held his head back up and he looked at me and he dropped his eyes again and he asked he asked me, Had you had you had any uh I'm not gonna say he didn't say sexual intercourse, he said something else, but it was in he asked me basically did had 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 that uh I have any uh sex with Elnora Griffin or had I had any sex with Elnora Griffin in the past and I told him no. And he asked me another question, then he held his hand up, and then he stopped. He said, we're going to stop this right now. And he said, I need to ask you this right now. He said, are you holding anything back that you really want to tell me? He said, because what I'm reading right here is uh, you're not telling me the truth. And he's, I've asked you a number of questions, and you're not telling me the truth. And I need to know the truth. You can talk to me right here, and there's nobody in the room. But Dale Hickel was in the room at the same time, you know. I said, uh-huh. I don't have nothing to tell you. I said, I don't have nothing to tell you. I'm answering your question. He said, you're answering my questions, but they're not truthful. He said, so far, you've lied to me on everything. I said, really? <laughs> Including your name and your address? <laughs> and where I stayed, I guess so, you know. And really, the second polygraph really consisted of the same things, you know, the same thing. In the second polygraph, they was asking, they kept, they, they started going more into uh, the sex stuff, you know, do you do you uh have a lot? Have you had a lot of? They asked you have about one minute Monica. left. They asked me about Monica and stuff with the sex. Do we have a lot of sex? Were we having rough sex and all that stuff like that? 
Right. They kind of they got pers- they kind of got personal, and then that's when I got pissed off about it. Yeah, and, th- and that's the one that you said disappeared. And didn't you say that that your right. attorneys asked them about it, and they at one point told you that you had passed that polygraph? But then yeah, they, they told them they had passed it, but it doesn't matter because they can't use it in court. And then it just disappeared. It disappeared. Having this conversation with Ed has made me even more frustrated. We already knew that about 90% of the information found in that supplemental report created by Dale Huckel in February prior to the second indictment was incorrect and some of it just straight out fabricated. But hearing what actually happened with that knife and connecting the dots between that and the knife that was supposedly found on the side of the road is just infuriating. That supplemental report clearly states that two weeks after Ed was arrested, Mr. Norman called Detective Huckel, he went out there, got the knife, they tested the knife for blood, and didn't find any, but found that it had been recently sharpened. As far as I know, the only forensic laboratory that Smith County uses is the Department of Public Safety. And we know that that's where they would send a knife because we have the record from the DPS stating that they sent them the knife that was found on the side of the road. The open records request with the DPS crime lab was for every correspondence with Smith County regarding the Edward Aids and Elnora Griffin case. And there is no mention anywhere of any knife being found on a tractor. Either the entire story of the knife that was found on that tractor was a complete lie, or the story about finding the knife on the side of the road right in front of Ed's house is completely false. Either way, there was only ever one knife. And as Ed would put it, That's some bullcorn right there. Truth and Justice is a production of New Beginning Incorporated. Our executive producer is Mike Bussing. I want to thank Tate Krupa for designing and creating our logo. The intro music today was To the Top by Score Squad, and all of the rest of today's music was created by Shane Yoder. I want to thank our transcription team, Sarah Hoyt, Desiree Dunn, and Sarah Mueller for transcribing all of the episodes and sending them every week to Ed and Kenny. Don't forget that we're taking next week off for Thanksgiving, so there will be no Friday follow-up episode this week, and there will be no new episode next Sunday. We will be recording the Friday follow-up phone calls on Tuesday night, the 29th, from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Keep sending in your thoughts, theories, and ideas into theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Send all those new cases into cases at truthandjusticepod.com. Like the Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. And for questions about this episode, be sure to use the hashtag episode 244. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.